1: Welcome to the Flowered Path. Tonight I'll be talking with Dr. Ann Boric about the amazing Saint Charbel. Before we get to our talk, though, let's check the news. Before I get to this story, I want to pre apologize for my pronunciation. I'm going to do my best but I am unfamiliar with these names. Turkish earthquake survivor credits Virgin Mary for his survival. Basil Habkuk, a young Lebanese Catholic and father of two, had just arrived in Turkey when the 7.8 magnitude earthquake struck on February 6, 2023. Basel found himself beneath the rubble. He could hear his close friend, Elias el-Haddad, crying out for help, but was powerless to do anything. After a few short hours, he could no longer hear his friend. Habkuk explains, I stayed under the rubble for 52 hours, becoming stuck in a block about 2 meters long and 40 centimeters wide. He found a plastic pipe and began hitting the debris in the hope of attracting rescuers. The evening of the second day, he was located, but rescue efforts were spent on a nearby individual crying out in pain. Though the rescue efforts did not reach him, Habkuk relied on his faith in the Virgin Mary to see him through the ordeal. He recounts, When the rubble fell on me, I fell to the ground, crying out from the bottom of my heart, O oh Mary. I continued to call the Virgin Mary for the next 40 seconds until the earthquake stopped. Then I prayed the rosary from under the rubble. God protected me, and the Virgin Mary did not leave me. Prayer gave Habkuk the will to resist despair. He was rescued by a Turkish security team 52 hours after he became trapped. Abkuk credits faith in the Virgin Mary for his rescue, not just his own, but that of his mother and village as well. In his home village, the people commonly make the sign of the cross when leaving the village, praying for Mary's protection. Abkuk's mother also has a strong love for Mary and the saints, praying daily at the shrine of Our Lady of Montara. After hearing the news of the earthquake, Habkuk's mother prayed to Mary, promising that if her son returned to her safely, she would walk barefoot from the village to the shrine and enter the cave crawling with Habkuk. They made good on this promise upon his return, along with great fanfare from the villagers. According to tradition, the Lady of Mantara Shrine is the cave where the Virgin Mary waited for Jesus while he was preaching in Sidon, because Jewish women were not allowed in pagan villages. The Gospels testify to the coming of Christ to Sidon, where he healed the daughter of a Canaanite woman. Apparitions of Mary have been seen in the cave, and many children are baptized there to this day. News Newswriters for The Flowered Path are patrons and friends of the show, Sarah and Kevin. Saint Charbel Maklouf was born May 8, 1828 in a small village in the mountains of Lebanon. His birth name was Yosef Maklouf. In 1851, he started his first year as a novitiate in a Maronite monastery, pronouncing his vows of chastity, poverty, and obedience on November 1, 1853, and taking Charbel as his new name. On July 23, 1859, Charbel Maklouf, was ordained a priest of the Marianite Rite of the Catholic Church. After living and working 15 years with his fellow monks, Charbel was given permission to become a hermit in 1875. He would live in this manner, walking the path of the hermit fathers for 23 years. Following his death, great wonders and miracles would be attributed to the saint, miracles which continue happening to this day. Saint Charbel was beatified in 1965 and canonized on October 9th, 1977. I'd like to welcome Dr. Anne Bork to The Flowered Path. How are you doing tonight?
2: Good, thank you. Thank you for inviting me on.
1: Well, thank you for stopping by. I watched a YouTube video you did on St. Charbel, and it was fascinating. I knew very little bit about them, probably from other YouTube videos and stuff, but, you know, yours was a little bit of a deeper dive. And I watched a talk you gave, and somehow I got your contact information. I reached out to you, and I asked if you'd come on the Flowered Path and talk about St. Charbel, and you were gracious enough to do so. So I'd like to thank you for doing that. I guess we can start with how did you find out about St. Charbel?
2: You know, St. Charbel has really been part of our family ever since I can remember growing up. You know, we were raised in the Maronite Catholic Church, and my grandmother actually had a great devotion to St. Charbel. Um, In fact, one of her best friends was a Mahlouf, and, you know, his name was Joseph Mahlouf, from a very small town in Lebanon. And so this lady in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is where we grew up, was actually a relative of St. Charbel. So growing up, I remember you know, Aunt Sadie bringing the prayer cards just to pray for him to be beatified. You know, he was canonized in 1977. Mm -hmm. And so as far as I can remember, he's been part of our family. It's, It's just a beautiful devotion that we just want to share.
1: Just for those who don't know, can you speak just a little bit about the Maronite Catholic Church?
2: Yes. So, you know, in the one Catholic apostolic church, there's many different rites. And so this is the rite that is from uh, predominantly Lebanon, from the Middle East. It's one of the 24 rites founded by St. Maron. The Maronites are v- very traditional. So we come from, you know, the original church, if you will. Mm-hmm. And so we try to maintain the language that Jesus spoke. If you go to a Maronite divine liturgy, you'll hear the Aramaic language, which is the language that Jesus spoke. So. Oh,
1: that's fascinating. Fascinating.
2: Yeah, and that's what Sharmba was. He was a Maronite priest, monk, and hermit. And... Nobody knew him. He lived in the mountains of Lebanon, and today he's known all over the world with really—some people say that he has probably the most miracles through the intercession of St. Charbel, God performing these miracles through this great saint more than any other to date. So, you know, that says a lot.
1: Yeah, that does. It's it's a wonderful claim, and some of the ones I've heard about are just stunning, are just stunning. So Yeah. I guess we could talk a little bit about St. Charbel's life.
2: Yes, so he lived, he died in 1898. He was born in 1828 in a very small village in Lebanon. And really, his father died when he was three years old. So he was raised by his mother, who was a very devout Maronite, and two uncles who were in the monastery. And so as a little boy, St. Charbel began hearing the call, that internal voice, and he began to follow it. And if you go there today, and this is a beautiful thing. I was there in 2018. I took my mom. We went on a pilgrimage and visited his home in a, a place called Bakafara, which is a small village in the north. There's a little cave area that oftentimes you'll read about or you'll hear that little boy Joseph uh, Mahluf would go and pray. He, he loved the monastic feel. He had a little statue of the Blessed Mother, would oftentimes find a piece of incense, you know, from the church, and he would just pray. He had a great devotion to the Blessed Mother, even as a little boy. In fact, we're told that the kids in the area at the time would make fun of him because he was, they would call him the little saint. Hmm. And so, you know, as he grew up, he heard the call, and at the age of 21, he left everything behind, and he walked on foot to the monastery. And never turned back. And when he joined the monastery, he became a priest. He was a monk. And then it's a beautiful story to, if, you, if you'd like to hear just, you know, what really was the miracle that allowed the superior to allow him to enter into the hermitage. Because he always wanted to go deeper. You know, his heart was in the hermit
1: mm-hmm.
2: place, you know, which is even more of an aesthetic type life.
1: He's living as a monk amongst the other monks, but he wants to, like you said, go further and kind of become a hermit.
2: Exactly. And if you go there today, again, the monastery is in Anaya, Lebanon, and about a mile or so up the hillside is where the hermitage is. And so that's where he spent the remainder 23 years of his life in that hermitage. He eventually, the superior, did allow him permission to do that. But originally and early on, they didn't because he was such a powerful instrument to have. For example, when the superior had a family member, for example, that was dying, they would call Father Charbel to come pray at the bedside. And you know, lo and behold, they would be cured. So even in his days of living as a priest, they knew that, he was, that there was something different,
3: wow. that God
2: had anointed him. And, and miracles were obviously being seen you know, in great numbers, even before he died.
1: Wow. So, yeah, Mm -hmm. let's hear the story. It's a fascinating story. I I know it, but I'd rather you tell it of, you know, how the superior finally let him go be a hermit.
2: Yeah, it's called The Miracle of the Lamp. And so anybody that reads about St. Charles, you'll see they have a logo, actually, that has the lamp, the the oil lamp. Mm -hmm. And this is the story that that comes from. So, you know, one day that the superior asked him to review some records and he obviously his obedience was his number one virtue. He was very obedient. And so he asked some of the younger brothers to fill his oil lamp because he was going to be up, you know, reviewing the files one night. And they played a joke on him. So they took it. And because he was so devout, he was easy to, you know, to play jokes on because he never was out of the mindset where his head and his mind was lifted to God. Mm-hmm. And he was always that way. And so whether he was working in the fields or whether he was eating or whatever he was doing, which he didn't eat much, the other brother monks, you know, knew that. So they decided to fill the oil lamp with water. You know, they kind of peeped through the hole. They were kind of watching. And lo and behold, when Father Charbel lit it, it, it lit. And they just couldn't believe it. So they called the superior to come and he took the lamp and tasted it and it was water. And so the superior took that as a sign. That, you know, this is really something that is supernatural, that, you know, that this is a man who God has completely taken over, and he allowed him to then enter into the hermitage. So that was a beautiful, beautiful miracle that was witnessed by his brother monks and the Superior.
1: It's such a wonderful story.
2: Yeah, it's beautiful.
1: There's another story about some sort of, um, I, I think it was a pest that was affecting the crops.
2: Yes. Yes, that's correct. Mm-hmm. Yeah. In, I mean, again, they knew that he was he was a miracle worker. And so even to this day, you can look up, it's, it's a historical fact that at that time in Lebanon, there was like a pest that were infiltrating the land, the farmland. And it was so bad that they were going to lose all of their crops. And so again, they asked Father Sharbo to bless the water. And they sprinkled the water. And all of the area around in the in the hermitage, which is where they had their food grown, and, you know, none of it was touched. It was all healthy, beautiful farmland. And they attributed that to the holy water that Father Sharbo had blessed. So that was beautiful. There was another beautiful story about when they were out in the fields, and there was a snake that came. And the other brothers were just beside themselves. And they called Father Sharbo to come, and he basically commanded the snake to turn around and leave. <laughs> and he said, there's nothing here for you. And that was it. So there's many, many stories like that that really define his holiness. He was set apart. I mean, that's what it means to be holy. He, mm-hmm. he truly was set apart, even from the other monks, you know, in his day.
1: Mm-hmm. Just an aside, you know, for those who aren't familiar, I think, you know, we just have this idea of Lebanon being somewhere in the Middle East. But the landscape he was in was pretty mountainous, was it not?
2: Yes, very mountainous. In fact, it's about mile high. If you, if you go there today in the wintertime, it's like they have lots of snow. It's mm-hmm. it's about mile high. And, you know, he lived there in a cell. He used a, a wooden log as a pillow. I mean, he, he lived a very life of asceticism and mortification. And But what was really amazing was when he died, after he died, he died on Christmas Eve, so it was in the midwinter. And the other monks who witnessed that it was freezing cold. Father Charbel never dressed differently in the summer or in the winter. He wore the same cloak, the same clothes. I mean, it was freezing, but that was part of the sacrifice, the suffering that he offered up to mm-hmm. our Lord. Mm-hmm. And and the reason he did it, really, you know, when you when you read about it and you hear stories, is his whole life. He was intoxicated with God. You know, they, t- they talk about being inebriated with God. It, the, the, the feelings and the, the comforts of this world just didn't make a difference to him because he, his, he was so connected in that way. Wow. And he did it because he knew that Jesus suffered. And so he had that understanding, deep understanding that, you know, how much he suffered for us, mm-hmm. that this is nothing compared to what Jesus did for us. So it was at least that he can do. hmm That's why he's a beautiful saint today. And, you know, there's a story in Lebanon and amongst our family members and, you know, people that are Lebanese that oftentimes say, you know, St. Charbel suffered so much when he was living. You know, now that he's close to Jesus, no matter what he asked Jesus, he can't say no. You know, he he, he answered all of his prayers. And, you know, there's some truth to that. I mean, it's a beautiful demonstration of, of holiness.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, that's what we get with the saints. You get these remarkable people. Mm-hmm. Who we can go to for intercession. And we're lucky for it. We're lucky we have their lives as examples. Mm-hmm. You know, it's something to strive towards. I, you know, I don't think I'll ever, you know, get to that height. But right. Right. hey, it's an inspiration. It's a complete inspiration. And I mean, that's why I'm doing this podcast. I read about these saints and I'm just like, wow, look at look what they did. Look what they did. Right. And
2: it, it changes us, isn't mm-hmm. it? But, you know, with St. Charbel, we have a prayer group here, and it's, we start, and there's just a lot of people around the globe that are joining and are interested. And really the mission or the the focus of being part of St. Charbel's prayer group is not necessarily to imitate him, although we do, but what's most important is imitating his love for the Eucharist mm-hmm. and his love for Mary, because that's who defined him.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: And, you know, so we use the chaplet as a beautiful devotion. And so if some of your listeners are not aware of the chaplet of St. Charbel. It's a great, beautiful prayer that is prayed on beads. It takes about maybe six, seven minutes. It's a beautiful devotion to him.
3: Oh, yeah.
2: In growing in the virtues of St. Charbel, poverty, chastity, obedience, love for the Eucharist, and love for Mary. That's what it's all about.
1: Yeah, I actually am not familiar with it. I, I would love to have more information on that. Uh, we can okay. we, we can go over mm-hmm. that <laughs> at another time. Okay, okay, uh, great. And, and uh, if there's links or anything I can certainly get them in the show notes to the listeners. Okay, you mentioned about how little he ate, now, I always find this fascinating. And this is you know a few saints have this where you wonder how they lived eating so little, right?
2: Yeah, it, it's mind boggling. as a medical physician, I mean, I can tell you all about metabolism and the need for caloric intake and I mean he worked in the field, but it comes from God. That's the only answer. Mm-hmm. It's something that is um supernatural.
3: Yeah.
2: The Eucharist is what fed him. Yeah. You know, the Eucharist yeah. was his nourishment and the Eucharist was also his medicine. He died at the age of seventy. And, you know, it it's very interesting to hear about his death you know in, in going there talking to the monks personally and hearing the stories a lot of people think that or you read about and you hear that he collapsed you know he had a stroke t- during the consecration
3: mm-hmm.
2: and he did but what they believe in the people closest to him that has been passed down is that he was very healthy robust I mean he worked in the fields slept very little ate very little what they believe happened when he died on christmas eve in 1898 it was during the consecration while he was elevating the host and they believe that it wasn't a stroke but but rather 8 days prior to that was when he collapsed and so for 8 days he you know remained in this state and then finally died on christmas eve mm-hmm. so on december 17th or whenever that day was that he collapsed they believe that he was so engrossed or overtaken by the vision of God, that he actually saw, you know, God. And you can't live when you see the face of God, right?
3: Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um,
2: So that's how holy he was. That's how close to our Lord this great saint was. And so that's the belief that he collapsed, continued to pray those words. It's a prayer called the Father of Truth prayer. For eight days, he would continually pray that prayer, which is part of the consecration, and it's part of the chaplet, devotion that we pray and then finally on christmas eve he you know he died and then miracles immediately began
1: right so charbel's Mm -hmm. death uh you know he's not a saint until would you say the the mid-1970s is he finally yeah 1977
2: he was he was canonized or canonized Mm -hmm. yeah yeah he was canonized yeah
1: but before that on almost immediately after his death These wondrous, strange things start happening around him.
2: That's right. That night in the hermitage, his body was in the chapel, and there was one other hermit that resided in that hermitage. There was a place for three. And at one point he was alone, and and then eventually there was another hermit. Well, he was praying in front of the, the Blessed Sacrament, and he witnessed a bright light from the tabernacle that kind of shone over St. Charbel's face that the night that he died. Wow. From that time, you know, it was a very humble burial, just like any other hermit. He was just in a or any other uh, monk. He was buried in a in a box just right next to the right on the hillside next to the monastery. Well, within days, a bright light began emanating from the grave and people from the surrounding villages were witnessing it.
1: Yeah, I think I read that even um, some Islamic people had oh witnessed it. My,
2: many, many people from the Muslim faith would, would come mm-hmm. and were healed. Even today, even to this day, people from different faiths—you know—Saint Charbel is is a wonder worker. I mean, he, mm-hmm. he he brings all together. And then, you know, obviously in time they convert to Catholicism, but it takes time for that. But yeah, so people from all over were witnessing it, and and you know they were he- people were be- being healed. And they had to actually exhume his body and it was very warm, sweating, exuding a like a water oil like substance. And it never stopped for fifty plus years. I mean, it, it was just it's incredible the number of years that his body would continually exude this oil. Right. Blood.
1: Now there's only so much fluid in our body.
2: Exactly. That's exactly right. And so where does it come? You know, how over years and years You know, a lot of the medical experts that documented it, and I've kind of gone through a few of them, because I actually had an opportunity to head up an investigation of a blind woman here in Phoenix that was completely healed. And so... Through
1: St. Charbel's intercession?
2: Through the intercession of St. Charbel, yes. Amazing, amazing. Yeah, yeah, I mean, where does that come from? Well, I mean, there's only one explanation for that. Mm -hmm. And so, I mean, it's faith. And, And I oftentimes say, you know, for those that have faith... No explanation is necessary. You know, if you don't have faith, no explanation is possible. Right? right. That's, yeah. that's a quote from, I believe, St. Jerome or something. But boy, it's, it's amazing to hear these stories. It's, it really opens your heart.
1: Yeah. This, whatever's the substance he was exuding, first of all, there was no foul smell.
2: Mm-hmm. That's right.
1: And it continued for a while. They stood him up essentially in a closet. People were so interested in, in seeing this, you know, miracle worker. And whatever this fluid was, was, I believe it was like coming out from that area, like onto the floor. They, they put him out. We've read the little something on him. Oh, yeah. They put him out in the sun to try to dry him out.
3: Yeah.
1: Yes. It, it, it just... Nothing did it, you know? No,
2: it it would continue. They actually had to move him four different times. And again, if you go to the monastery today, behind one of the walls, I mean, the tomb is there that you can see. Mm -hmm. Um, And the, the, the fluid has since, you know, stopped by the grace of God. But the wall, the one wall that was there, I mean, it's still there. The dirt that was in that area, people till today will take that dirt from the tomb area, from where his body or bodily fluids were, make tea, just a little bit, they'll boil it. Mm-hmm. And, you know, there's reports of of healings, especially during COVID. We would hear people from Lebanon that this was happening. And, you know, it's through, it's God's power through the intercession of this great saint. So when you hear about sacred soil, I call it, but, you know, people say dirt, you know, if we can get dirt from St. Charbel's grave, tomb, you know, people are really, there's a lot of healings that are that are being documented. And Absolutely being seen.
1: fascinating. You know, as we mentioned sometimes these are Catholics and sometimes these are non-Catholics right. that are mm-hmm. being That's healed. Right. Yeah. So you can't chalk it all up to just, you know, some kind of psychosomatic this person wanted to be healed because they were of the faith kind of thing.
2: Right. Absolutely not. Yeah. Yeah. yeah.
1: Mhm. I might be wrong about this. Was he was he exhumed in the middle of the 1900s? Yes,
2: 1950. Mhm.
1: And was was
2: well, the in, well? Yeah, initially the the initial, you know, when they exhumed his body was within like forty five days after he died because of the amount of fluid, the light, and they had to look at it. And then he was exhumed four other times.
1: Oh, okay. But
2: the last time was in nineteen fifty. Mm-hmm.
1: And was his body incorrupt at that point? Yes. Mm-hmm.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. It was.
1: Yeah. So, in case anyone's not familiar, certain of these saints. It's, it's amazing. Again, yeah. they do not rot. They do not decay in the way that you might expect any other living thing to. And right. there's no real explanation for it. You know, some people say, oh, it's where they were buried and it's this and that. Mm. But the others around them aren't incorrupt. You know, it's an absolutely fascinating thing. It doesn't happen with every saint, but there are a few. Right. You know, people just look at it and say, I, I don't know how that happens.
2: Right. That's yeah, it's it's incredible. Padre Pio, Maria Goretti, um, St. Bernadette, you mm-hmm. know, from Laura, mm-hmm. like she's sleeping. She's considered the sleeping saint. So, yes, there's several. Um, and I think, you know, I mean, in the scripture tells us that our body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. Right. I mean, it, it makes it when you reach that that peak holiness, um, it's a gift. You know, it really is. It's, it's a gift that that God allows that, you know, he was so pure in his mind and in his heart and in, in his body, right?
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Poverty, chastity, obedience, that it's just, it's a gift that, that God allows some to, to be preserved. And, you know, the other thing that's amazing is that there's many stories of people saying that they felt St. Shabba, well, the girl that was blind, they, you know, she, I, I can tell you that story, but she felt a, a hand, somebody standing next to her. There's several, one in particular, a friend of my mom, who needed a liver transplant and um, to this day is completely cured, got the liver, but says that the little monk, you know, would appear to him in his hospital room. Wow. And so, yeah, so that that's kind of a, a unique little kind of tidbit about this Saint, Saint Charbel.
1: Yeah, from everything I hear, the miracles keep coming. It's incredible. Right. It's absolutely incredible.
2: It, it is. In Lebanon, the 22nd is a very special day. So, if your listeners are, you know, kind of interested in in Saint Charbel, tune in the 22nd. Pray that day around the world. You know, graces are bestowed because he appeared to a uh, well. He healed a lady there, and he said to her, you know, come on the 22nd. You know, go to mass and share the faith with people. And to this day, there's thousands, literally thousands of people that go in pilgrimage. From the 21st into the 22nd, because it happened on the 22nd, 30 years ago. It was in 1993 when he appeared and completely cured this this lady of a, of a massive stroke. Oh, wow. Yeah, it just it continues. And on the 22nd, people, many, many people will leave their canes or leave their crutches and, I mean, just, you know, get up out of the wheelchair and just walk home. Today, No, That's Last fantastic. month, and it's going to happen this month. Yeah. Wow. Yeah, so it's, it's beautiful.
1: Yeah, it really is. Do you know the story? So, there's a particular story about how we know what Saint Charbel looks like.
2: Yes, I do. In fact, I, I personally know the the, per, the a relative of the photographer.
1: Oh, fantastic! Fantastic. Yes.
2: So that's right. The, there's no picture of Saint Charbel, mm-hmm. first of all. So the image that we see it is a miraculous image. So the story goes that it was around 1950. There was six seminarians from the United States that went to Anaya to make a pilgrimage. And they were there. One of them had a camera. They took a picture of them right in front on the hillside in front of his hermitage. And when they developed it, there was this sixth person that showed up. And that's St. Charbel. And so they took that image and they used that as as the icon, as the image that, that we now know. You know, anybody that reads about Saint Charbo or knows about there's not many pictures of him there's mm-hmm. only the one image that we recognize mm-hmm. right there may be one that maybe he's kneeling in a in a posture similar to Saint Marin or to one of the other Saint Namdala, which is uh, was his teacher who's now a, a saint but but that's the image is that what the story you're talking about yes yep that's
1: yeah. it mm-hmm. yeah yes he he appeared on this photograph
2: that's right and what they did when he was canonized in 1977, that was how they had a picture during the canonization. They took it from that photo.
1: Oh, that's fantastic.
2: Yeah. Mm-hmm. And we had a um, beautiful, it was a NAM convention. It was the National Apostolic, the Apostolate of Maronites in, in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, which is my hometown. And they unveiled that photo, you know, at that time, at that convention in 1977. So that was, that was a big deal. It was beautiful.
1: I mean, one of many amazing stories that go mm-hmm. around about this wonderful saint. If I'm remembering co- correctly, there was someone who was a, the you know a very very old monk still around in 1950 who was able to recognize it and say, "That's him."
2: That's exactly right. Yeah, that's right. Otherwise, they would not. I mean, they wouldn't. They knew who Saint Charbel. I mean, who Father Charbel was because mm-hmm. it, by then, I mean they they had opened the cause you know, for beatification. Mm-hmm. And that's why they made the pilgrimage there. But you're absolutely right. It's amazing. Even like today, there's still a living relative in the United States, a distant relative of, of the Mahlud family of St. Charbel. And I think that's just, you know, that's just beautiful.
1: It is because, you, you know, the wonderful thing about saints is that they're people. And right. every one that's- of us has the opportunity to be one as well. Now, you know, exactly. We, hopefully we get there, you mm-hmm. know, who knows, but, but that opportunity is there. And the fact that there's relatives around and, you know, and in this case, at least back in 1950, there was somebody alive who, who knew him still. Right. These are wonderful things because it just drives that home. I think a little bit more like, you know, these were real people. These are not, Folk heroes. Exactly. <laughs> you know, they are—they were real people that did amazing things, and their intercession is still doing amazing things for people.
3: Right.
2: Did amazing things in like a four-by-four, four, you know, place. With the, I mean, he never traveled outside of Lebanon.
3: Right, right? Yeah,
2: um, yeah. And that's what's pretty fascinating. You know, nobody knew who he was. Mm-hmm. Um, but today, I mean, obviously everybody, and more and more people— are coming to know him, especially in the in the the Roman Catholic, you know, church.
1: Yeah, um, yeah.
3: Mm-hmm.
1: I've grew up in am Roman Catholic, so right. there's a certain saints I'm, I'm very familiar with, and others. Especially since I'm starting this podcast, I'm getting more familiar with different ones. But uh, until recently, right. I just wasn't that aware of them. In sure. fact, I was at the Lord's Shrine in Emmitsburg, Maryland, recently. Before, but before I knew about Saints for Bell, and I only. Found out now that they have a, a shrine to him there with a first-class relic.
2: Isn't that awesome? Yeah, I mean that, that's just that's beautiful.
1: So I need to go it's, back. It's luckily it's not it's that far right. away. It's it's about an hour yeah. drive for me, so I can go back and visit. Mm-hmm. But yeah, I, I was amazed. So the word is getting out there.
2: It is getting out. It's getting out there in a big way. Mm-hmm. I mean, more than we really really think. But you, you remind me. You reminded me of something that a lot of the Maronites you know, um, adopt in their practice, in their prayer practice, and that is they make a promise. It, it's called a nidin. So, like, if you're, you know, if you're asking God through the intercession of this great saint, you ask St. charbel please pray for this particular, you know, reason, healing, mm-hmm. wh- whatever it is. Mm-hmm. And you make a promise, and you say, you know, when God answers this prayer, I will light a candle, or I will make a pilgrimage to Emmitsburg, you know, or whatever it is. I mean, that's that's a, that's a great prayer practice that a lot of Maronites have adopted and, and do.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: Um, and that's why there's so many that pilgrimage there and, and go there to get thanks yeah. for the, the miracles that are, that are answered. You know, it, one thing that really amazed me, I love videography and photography and all of that. And so w- when we were in Anaya, we were there over the 22nd. Obviously there was, you know, many, many people there, but I just kind of went wandering around and I found myself in, a, in an area that was a TV studio and they were getting ready. They have a place dedicated just for people to capture their testimonies, their witnesses. When, you know, it's, it's amazing. The day I was there, there was a father that had a little, a little girl who had been healed and they came to record it. And they, you know, just to capture because there's so many and it's just one way that they can document all of the testimonies and all of that that's happening. Wow. Wow. Yeah. So I thought that was neat.
1: Yeah, the fact that it's it's ongoing and there's so many is just it's stunning.
3: Right. Right.
1: So can you share some examples of some of these that you've witnessed or know of? You, you mentioned the blind woman that was cured. That's Yeah, stunning. absolutely. Yeah.
2: You know, the, the first one that, that I ever experienced was with my grandfather. And, you know, I always tell the story because it really changed me because I was at an age, I was, you know, probably in high school, you know, maybe grade school, high school. My, my grandfather had severe migraine headaches. Um, I mean, to the for 20-plus years, and he would bang his head against the wall. Mm-hmm. And that's how bad the pain was. And I remember my grandmother had a great devotion to St. Charbel, you know, to our Blessed Mother. Well, one day he grabbed a little relic that she had sitting on the table, and he screamed, and he grabbed it, put touched his head with it, and said, you know, in Arabic, he said, God, heal me. You know, St. Charbel, please pray for me that this pain go away. And he never had a headache again. I mean, that was it. That was kind of the last time that we ever witnessed him having headaches. Wow. So that was a like a personal kind of.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
2: And then, you know, as a professional, I, I did have an opportunity to do an investigation on a, a huge miracle here in Phoenix in 2016. Um, do you want to hear the story? Oh, you absolutely, please. It? Yeah. yeah. So in
1: 2016,
2: that they brought the relics to the United States because it was, Like the 50-year beatification. So there was a celebration and it happened to come to our Maronite church here in Phoenix. And this girl, 31 years old, who knew nothing about St. Charbel. A lot of the Mexican people in Mexico, they have a great devotion now to St. Charbel. Well, a little boy had been healed of blindness in Mexico. And I guess, you know, somehow this girl's sister-in-law heard about it. So they decided to bring the woman to the church, begging god for a healing because she was on many meds she had seizures and a whole bunch of things she was going to be placed in a nursing home because she couldn't care for her like three children Mm -hmm. so she walked in and went to confession and basically begged god through saint charbel's intercession to heal her but she knew nothing she didn't know who saint charbel was and father was some you know blessed her eyes with the holy oil and as they were there she if you talk to her, she says that she felt like there was somebody standing next to her with their hand on her shoulder, hmm. but there was nobody there. To make a long story short, she went home that night, she began developing pain in her eyes, and then you know went to her ophthalmologist. Within 48 hours, her vision was completely restored back to normal. And so, you know, she called the church and she said, you know, something happened, and so immediately he you know contacted me, and we, we got a group of medical doctors to really you know scrutinize this this case mm-hmm, mm-hmm. she had a uh, the diagnosis with was intracranial hypertension she had a disease where the pressure in the brain was very high called okay. pseudotumor cerebri and the pressure obliterated the optic nerves oh. the optic so she couldn't see mm-hmm. right she she wasn't born blind but this had you know it was an irreversible blindness so her vision you know was restored completely back wow. to normal that night, her husband said that he smelled something like burnt meat. Like four o'clock in the morning, she woke up with severe pain in her eyes, and um, and then that's what happened.
1: That's yeah. that kind of. So I have MS. The yeah. way I got my diagnosis mm-hmm. is I went temporarily, mm-hmm. thankfully, blind in my left eye. Okay. And that mm-hmm. was the same thing. It was it was uh, that optic nerve kind of thing. Um, right. And right. it it thankfully came back. And, you know, I probably got about 90 plus percent of my vision back, which is good. Excellent. But, yeah, that's, that's.
2: Yeah, the pathophysiology of, of MS is different than, than what we're talking yes, about. yeah, the yeah. Because yeah. this is a, the pressure, it's a, you know, it's a, it's a, like a physical pressure that it compresses the nerve and it causes it to die, basically. Mm-hmm.
1: Oh, okay, yeah.
2: Yeah, see, but, yeah. But
1: yeah, before that moment, I never experienced eye pain before, though. So when, mm. when when she said like Cause I thought like you can't eye pain like you yeah know, but right. yeah it, it you can experience eye pain <laughs> I had it you can't <laughs> right
2: especially especially when the nerve wakes up
1: oh you know? yeah yeah mm-hmm. Mm-hmm.
2: yeah and so that was a beautiful and she's doing I mean her vision is twenty twenty she's off amazing. all medicine yeah yeah
1: amazing that is that is wonderful yeah so sometimes you will see Saint Charbel's name with an S-H, yeah. and sometimes with a ch, Right. Is there a preferred spelling? Is one, you know, the, the traditional spelling? Is one, uh, you know, anglicized? What's the okay. difference?
2: Honestly, as far as I know, I, I don't think there's a difference. The only thing that I can figure out is that the C-H is kind of like, um, French is a is a language in, in Lebanon. It's one of the, okay. the languages. Okay. Um, but I have a novena that I brought back from there. I mean, in even the original documents, like the... The prayer for beatification, he's, it's spelled with an S. Mm-hmm. So I tend to keep the S—I think the C-H is, is a newer kind of version of, of spelling it. Okay. But, you know, both are fine, both are accepted, and yeah, so that's—as far as I know, That's mm-hmm. that would be my answer for that. Because I've seen it both ways, as I'm sure you have, but even early on, I think S is the original.
1: Okay. People can visit the monastery to this day?
2: absolutely in Lebanon it's in the north uh, area from you, people fly into beirut and maybe within a probably less than an hour drive you know you can get to that place we have a a shrine here in phoenix as well here in arizona we have a first class relic and so people come from you know many different places around the country to come to the shrine here especially since that healing happened you know so mm-hmm. that that's a a beautiful thing, but most Maronite churches around the country have a first-class relic of Saint Charbel.
1: Oh, isn't that In fact, fascinating?
3: all of
2: them. Yeah, yeah. That's one thing. There's no, you know, there, there's many, many relics that are around of this great saint. Mm-hmm. I think that's another added benefit to to knowing him and having a devotion to him.
1: If someone wants to participate or get involved with one of these prayer groups, how would they go about it?
2: Yes, there's a website, and you just kind of sign up, and it's C or S. So it's org. And if you just go to that, it takes you just to one page. It'll explain it, Um, all of the different countries of people that, you know, are are part of it. And really, they're all people that I've personally connected with. So it's a very secure, beautiful prayer prayer group that's growing. We have people in Africa, Indonesia, Canada— Philippines, China. I mean, it's really, it's amazing to me. And we just want to keep growing it. And in that, we have what's called a, a prayer link to be linked with somebody for 21 days where you pray for them, they pray for you. And it's just that, it's that kind of a personal growing in devotion, asking St. Charles' devotion mm-hmm. uh, intercession.
3: Mm-hmm.
2: So that's, uh, we'd love for anybody and everybody to join that is interested in growing in devotion to the Eucharist and our Blessed Mother through St. Charmble's intercession. That's really what we want to grow. And again, using the chaplet as a beautiful prayer devotion. The rosary obviously is, um, you know, you you can't be on the team and not pray the rosary, Mm -hmm. right? Sure. But but the chaplet of St. Charmble is made up of our Father, three Hail Marys, and five sets of that. And then the Father of Truth prayer, which is the prayer that I told you that that St. Charles continued to say after he collapsed mm-hmm. for eight days, and that's a prayer that is to the Father, you know, Father of Truth, behold your son a sacrifice pleasing to you, so it's about you know offering the sacrifice of our Lord to the Father, so it's during the consecration, mm-hmm. you know which is what our mass is a. A sacrifice. Right, yes. Yeah. And then the prayer to obtain graces is, is the miracle prayer. I mean, this is a powerful, beautiful prayer that at the end of the of the chaplet, you know, you pray. And in it is where you insert your special intention, you know, asking God through the intercession of St. Charbel to hear our prayers, to heal, to change, to convert, to, you know, whatever, whatever it is. Yeah, it's simple, but it's powerful.
1: Mm-hmm. You know, there's certain saints that I think sort of um, sing to people mm-hmm. for whatever reason. Padre Pio is one of them. I yes. think Charbel's another one. I believe I mentioned when I first contacted you, I didn't know that much about him. And it just immediately, I was like, oh, there's something here. Like, it just, just sang to me. That's all the only way I can put it.
2: I can't tell you how many people I hear that from. I mean, it's it's amazing that you're saying that because I think he chooses us. Rather than us choose the saints, mm. you know? mm-hmm. and so there's no doubt in my mind that yeah, that, that Saint Charbel is is wanting to you know be in your life, and be, people that feel that there's there's no doubt about it. It was wonderful. One hundred percent of the time, our the prayers are answered. I mean, our prayers don't go unanswered at all, especially through the, the intercession of this great Saint Padre Pio and Saint Anthony of Padua. You know, when we were talking to a, a monk in Lebanon. He was talking about the days, the time that we're living in. And he said, you know, these are the times there's three saints that he believes that are very, very active in helping us grow closer to God. And that would be Padre Pio, St. Charbel, and St. Anthony of Padua." Wow. Now, the little flower we can't forget, right? I mean, because St. Mm. Charbel has been, you know, considered the male counterpart of St. Therese of Lisieux. hmm because of the miracles but that's what he said and I'll never forget that wow yeah
1: yeah. I mean without knowing that much I just you know for whatever it's worth I got Padre Pio kind of vibes from uh, Saint Charbel before knowing that much about him I I just you know it's all I could say it's just like this there's something here
2: Yeah. Mm -hmm. so we're being called to go deeper Mm -hmm. and that's what you know I teach catechism and and I tell the, the kids you know at the Maronite Church that it's great to know about them and you know learn about them, but you know, but really go deeper. You mm-hmm. know, kind of imitate them. You know, and and he'll show up. I mean, a hundred percent of the time. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's 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 powerful.
1: To take a step back, and I'm just curious because you know, again, Roman writes, so it's it's mm-hmm. it's different for me. So when you say that this. There's Aramaic spoken. Is it, uh, for instance, like when we do the Latin Mass? that there is a combination of Aramaic, or is the the whole service in Aramaic?
2: Well, no, the whole ser- the whole service is a little bit different. Mm-hmm. You know, so the, the the timing of the Our Father is different, and the pieces given different, and all that. But the the consecration, you know, uh, mm-hmm. when the priest is you know consecrating the host and, and elevating the host, those words spoken, they're the same words. Take my. This is my body. Right. You know, mm-hmm. it's the same words that we use in the in the Roman, right? But they speak it in the Aramaic language, and that's really powerful to hear because that is the language that. Well, that's the language Saint Charbel. I mean, he, you know, Arabic and Aramaic, mm-hmm. but that's the language Jesus spoke.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, but
2: it is the exact same words. It's not a different version of the consecration right. if that's what you're asking right
1: just wondering like like how much of the service is in aramaic versus... oh, well,
2: you, it depends on the priest mm-hmm. um you know there's some priests that that will do like in in england i mean in english probably most of the mass can be done in english except for you know that the highlights of the certain prayers that are in aramaic and then you know some you'll find the whole masses and our priest here it's in english aramaic and Spanish because there's a big Spanish population now that has come since the miracle.
1: Mm-hmm. That makes sense.
2: So, yeah, so that's yes. that's beautiful. And then in the music that you hear is very typical of the chanting that is in the in the Maronite right that you mm-hmm. know that would that, that Saint Charbel would have heard. You know what I mean? It's uh, and they're all chants and prayers invoking our Blessed Mother. You know, talking about um, it, it's so powerful, and so deep. You know the the interpretation of a lot of the hymns,
1: yeah, I'm wondering if there's a, a Maronite church nearby. I would love to just visit,
2: yeah, yeah, you sh- definitely should, definitely because it'll it'll you'll grow richer in appreciation of you know of him as you are I mean you're mm-hmm. and, and that's what most people you know who are listening that's a great way to to learn you can even go online, you know if there's some Masses and sure, and so yeah, yeah,
1: yeah, yeah. I didn't think about that. Absolutely, and likewise, your talks are on YouTube. At least one yeah. of them is. I think. I think I saw mm-hmm. a second as well.
2: Yeah, we we have a whole channel dedicated to. It's called Prayer Motion. So we, you know, we have. I live stream the mass on the 18th every month. Okay. um and and we do it on the 18th because that's the day that Daphne was was healed of blindness, and it it kind of mimics the. In Lebanon, they do it on the 22nd. Mm-hmm,
3: mm-hmm. So you
2: know, we have a beautiful healing mass on that day. Yeah, there's just a lot. Of, it's all about St. Charbel, a lot of different talks and different things. So if anybody's interested, you can always find something like that.
1: That's your channel on YouTube?
2: Yes, that's right. Mm-hmm.
1: What's it called one more time?
2: It's called Prayer Motion. Okay. Prayer Motion. Yeah, and I can just Google St. Charbel talk or my name. Sometimes it comes up. Father Wassam Akiki is our pastor you know a lot of his sermons or masses are on there.
1: Mhm. I encourage people to dig deeper. There's so many miracles attributed to this saint that we could probably do a whole other show or yeah. more probably well, right. easily more. But just talking about the miracles, they're absolutely fascinating. This saint Charbel is fascinating in general. I mean, remove the miracles. He had an incredibly fascinating life, but when you add those into it, you just get this wonderful picture of, yeah. of this saint that's uh, still working, still interceding for people.
2: That's right. Over 30,000 to date. And just personally, you asked the personal, there was a beautiful healing that I personally experienced with through the oils that I brought back from his tomb. Um Just briefly, there was a little baby, a friend of mine had a baby. Oh, yes, you
1: said this in the talk. yes, please tell yeah. the story, yes yeah,
2: when I think about it, it blows my mind, and it's just it gives you the power that we have access to through prayer and faith and so just you know the baby was born with a umbilical wrapped around her neck, and so she had a paralyzed vocal cord, and the vocal cord didn 't allow it to close, so she was aspirating, and they couldn 't feed her, and they had a tube in her nose, and you know oh. all of that. Days old, two, three. So they, you know, shipped her to the, you know, pediatric intensive care and all of that. So I ended up having to fly into Pittsburgh like a day or two later, and I brought with me the oil that I brought back from Anaya. You know, we have, I mean, we have a great devotion. As soon as I heard that, I began a day and night prayer vigil, asking Saint Charles to heal heal this little girl. Now, what's amazing is that. You know, that, I mean, I don't understand like why I think God just put that on me. I mean, it, it wasn't like it wasn't my baby. I mean, I was concerned, but it, it just really overtook me, you mm-hmm. know,
3: mm-hmm.
2: In, a, in a way that, I, that it's just not normal. But anyway, so I went and went directly to the hospital and the mom was holding the baby and I just brought a Q-tip of the oil. Now I had been praying the whole time, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, and just kind of made a little cross on her forehead, you know, and she choked three times. I mean, it was, it really scared me. Now I'm a medical doc, but I, it, it scared me. Right. Right. Yeah. And then the mom said, no, it's okay. You know, she she's okay. And, and then I left, I just started like praying the our father, but I was nervous. Right. And mm-hmm. it was, and I just felt, I mean, I felt the Holy spirit was there, but I wasn't sure what to do or say, or, but God showed up and, you know, and, and he did it. It's not me. Right. Right. And so that next day, the baby they did a barium study that she was scheduled to have a test done to see. She passed it. They took the tube out. She went home two days later. Stunning. And this baby now, I mean, is eating ice cream. she I mean, she's completely, completely normal. And I said to her mom, you know, later, and I captured all the texts, and I, I actually put it into a little book. I captured everything. I documented and I journaled it all so that the baby someday will read it and know what happened, mm-hmm.
3: right? Yeah, yeah.
2: So I said, you know, Jenna, do you remember the baby cough free? She said, absolutely. She said that was the last time she choked. Amazing. And, you know, and in the, in the text, she said, you know, my mom and I say that, you know, St. Charbel, your prayers, we thank you that this is absolutely a miracle. And so, yeah, it, it's, it's powerful.
1: As, a, you know, a medical doctor, when you encounter medical miracles, yeah. what does that do to you?
2: There's no words to describe what that feels like or what that is, because I mean, in my heart, I, I'm a believer. So, Mm -hmm. you know, like I said, I have faith and it doesn't take a whole lot of evidence, but what it does is that it gives me a tool and it allows me to use that as an instrument to bring hope to other people that don't have access to it. Mm. And that I can't tell you how many people and patients today that really just don't have hope. If they're not believers, if they're not followers of Jesus, um, they have nothing. I mean, really, there's nothing to hold on to, and so as a medical doc, I want to heal them. I want them to get better, not only in their physical body, but emotionally sure. and spiritually. And so, these are the kind of things that you know that are great examples. And then when I see it, it just it feeds my soul. You, you know what mm-hmm. I mean? Not that we need it, but honestly, it does. It, mm-hmm. it, it up,
1: does it know? get less amazing each time?
2: Never. No. Yeah, yeah ne- I would I mean,
1: imagine not. Yeah. yeah.
2: Yeah, for me, it doesn't, you know, and Mm -hmm. I often say that, you know, when you talk to some of the Lebanese people, you know, my family and people, and you tell them about St. Charlotte doing a miracle, a lot of them are like, you know, yeah, what else is new? I mean, that's what he does. (laughs) And I just can't understand that. I just want to jump on the rooftops and, you know, yell because it it never gets old. It's just beautiful.
1: I often feel bad for people who don't get to experience these things because they don't have that sort of, you know, testament. Mm-hmm. Of, of faith, hope. You know.
2: And, you know, as a medical doc, I'm not shy about praying at the bedside. Um, I mean, we need to do that. You know, if we believe it and I can't tell you, I've never had anybody refuse, regardless of what their background or prayer is. When they're in need,
3: mm-hmm.
2: you know, physically, emotionally, pain, there's a little glimmer that opens up. Um, and so as a medical doctor, not you're not going to find many that do that. Right. But I think that it, it can make a big difference if you do. And, and that's what I found, yeah. you know, in practice and in my, you know, in my career.
1: Dr. Ann Borg, thank you so much for talking with us about St. Chabelle.
2: You're welcome. It's my pleasure. It's my favorite topic.
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, maybe we'll have more to talk about at some point. We can have you come back and, and talk some more.
2: I would love it. All right. I would love it. Thank you so yes. much.
1: I hope to put more content together regarding St. Charbel for the Flower Path patrons upcoming. There are many stories to tell. The prayer community Dr. Amborg mentioned can be found at charbelprayernet.org. Her YouTube channel is Prayer Motion. I'd like to thank my new patrons, Joseph Santamaria, Lucinda Morel, and I'd also like to thank John Gigliotti and Kathleen Rollins for their donations. Patrons and donations help me keep making The Flowered Path and bringing you more content. All patrons get the regular episodes of The Flowered Path ad-free, often before they drop on the regular podcast feed. Rose and Orchid-tier patrons also get shout-outs on the show, Orchid-tier patrons get monthly merch mailings. To check out all of the patron options and benefits, and to help me continue to make The Flowered Path, go to patreon.com slash thefloweredpath. You can also find a PayPal link. If you want to make a one-time donation, just click the support button at thefloweredpath.com and look for the PayPal button that says donate. Sources for this episode and the news segment can be found in the show notes for this episode at thefloweredpath.com. Please like and subscribe to The Flowered Path wherever you are listening. If you are inclined to leave a nice review, that will help as well. The Flowered Path is on YouTube, so please subscribe to our channel there. And no matter where you listen, if you like what you hear, please share the episodes on social media. You can find The Flowered Path on Facebook, facebook.com slash thefloweredpath, on Instagram, at thefloweredpath, and on the web at thefloweredpath.com.